you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter uh, 3. We'll finish this this morning. And then next, Lord's Day, we'll be back in the book of uh, Ephesians. <clears throat> I've been preaching through these texts because it is a new year and calling us to kind of think. Reevaluate where you are with Christ. Reevaluate your faithfulness to Him, your faithfulness in um, obedience, and your faithfulness in uh, being bold for the cause of the gospel. First John chapter three. I'm going to start reading in, in chapter two and verse twenty-eight. Please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not been yet, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because he shall be seen by us as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. The grass withers the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Pray for me uh, and yourselves as you sit under God's word this morning that God would bless us and that we may leave here uh, having been blessed and sanctified by God's grace. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we marvel. And that you have decided to bless sinful men and call sinful men to be ministers of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said, you say through the foolishness of preaching to the world, it is most foolish. Yet, O God, we recognize this is a primary means of grace. So I pray that you would be with me. I pray that you would help me, O God, that your spirit would guide me and give me unction. And that your people would pay attention, would hear that you, O God, would work grace upon grace, we pray. Help us, O Lord, to profit from this time. In Jesus' name, amen. One day when you are home, if you're sick on a Sunday or if you simply have an opportunity, tune into a church and listen to the proclamation of the word that that church is presenting. Jerry Packer, in his book, Knowing God, we're studying that in Sunday school, talks about the ineffectiveness of the church today. And that was in 1979 when he wrote that book. And he talks about the fact that the world seems to be more influenced by society than the church influencing society and trying to change society. That we are failing to be salt and light in the world as we are called to be by our God. 
Weak theology, weak ministry, weak preaching is not something that is new to the church. In 1 Corinthians, you know that there are many problems they have in that church. They're about to divide, about to split over personalities. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Jesus. I'm of uh, uh, the other one. I can't remember his name. Four of them. They're about to split. They're abusing the gifts God has given for their own gratification. There is a moral problem in the church. They're not dealing with it. And Paul says this kind of thing doesn't even happen among pagans. You're not dealing with it. So the first century churches had problems. When John writes this letter, he's dealing with some issues this church is having, these believers are dealing with. Apparently, they have been instructed that Jesus has not really come in the flesh. The first thing he deals with. We have seen him, we have touched him, we have heard him speak. It may be some early form of Gnosticism that they're dealing with. I'm not sure, but that's what he brings to their attention. We also see him dealing with affections. That we are not to love the world or the things of the world. He says if the love of the world is in us, the love of God is not. So we are to love God wholeheartedly. We are to love one another as well. This is another thing he deals with. So these things that they are dealing with are challenging. What is it that we can reflect upon? What is it that is true that should encourage us in our walk with Christ to keep on keeping on? Well, he deals with it in this text. And that is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that this morning. It is important that we believe that. It is important that we think about the reality, reality of it every single day. Because, in my opinion, I think this is correct, nothing will more encourage you, will more challenge you, than reflecting upon the reality of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ushering in the last day. What happens to see this this morning? Because reflecting upon Christ's return encourages us to faithfulness in our lives. Being faithful to God, being faithful to Christ, being faithful in trials. As believers, we should reflect upon the reality of the coming of Jesus and look forward to it. Three things this morning. As a child of God, we have to remember that our privileges right now are not fully experienced. The second thing is, as a child of God, you look forward to the expectantly and excitedly about the return of Christ. I've heard people say, I don't want him to come this week. I'm getting a raise. Come on. Really? Really? You'd rather Jesus wait until you got your raise? It won't matter. It won't matter at all. The third thing, a true child of God, you need to know that one day you will be made completely to reflect the image of Jesus. So the first thing then, as a child of God, we must remember that our privileges that we have as believers are not fully enjoyed, not fully experienced. John has informed these Christians, as you may remember from last week, I hope that you do, that we are children of God presently. We are children because God has loved us so deeply that he has drawn us into a relationship with himself. One commentator said this, we had neither claim or merit that we should be called God's children. And yet it is a present reality. You will no more be more firmly be a child of God tomorrow than you are today or 10 years from now than you are today. Hopefully you will have advanced in sanctification. 
But the fact that you have been adopted by God will not change. And as a member of God's family, we enjoy certain privileges that God gives to us as his children. And you know those privileges. You can pray, know that God hears you. You can worship, know that God accepts it. You can find comfort in God in times of trial. You can find direction in God when you're confused, not really sure exactly what to do next. There are privileges. And the greatest privilege that we have, at least in my opinion, is the closest we have with God. It's an amazing thing to think about that. The God that made the world, the God that made the stars, the God that created all things by his power, powerful word, loves us. Filled himself to us and saved us. That is an absolutely mind-blowing reality. That's why he says here in the text that it is amazing. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called his children. Beyond reason, beyond understanding. Well, then, uh, we know that as his children, we have the privilege of calling God Abba, Father. Uh, John, uh, Romans eight fourteen through 15, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. If you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That reflects the closeness of our relationship. Again, Galatians 4, 4 through 6, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word means one of tenderness. You know, John Calvin said that um, God giving us his word is like a mother lovingly bending down to embrace her child. Do you think of God in those terms? Not as stern, not as harsh towards you all the time, but that he is tender towards you and loves you. And cares for you so much so that he gave his son to die for us. This truth should permeate our lives every single day. We should reflect upon it. I am a child of God. But we do not experience all the blessings that that will entail one day. Thomas Manton said this. The privilege of adoption carries no splendid appearance in this world. The privilege of adoption carries no splendid appearance in this world. For it is much obscured by the present state of those who possess it. And again, the imperfections of this present state cause the glory of these privileges to be darkened. We are stained with sin and blackened with suffering. How many infirmities are encompassed about us? How many wants, necessities, and troubles are pressed within? There is no visible appearance of our great privileges. It doth not appear who are God's children and who are not. That was the same poem the psalmist had in Psalm 73. Why does God bless the pagans more than he blesses me? That's the problem with the psalmist. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. He even calls himself a brute beast when he was in that mindset, when he was thinking in those terms. So Thomas Matton, again, we recognize that the fact that we are God's children often does not appear in this life. Uh, we suffer as Christians sometimes more severely than pagans. Uh, we uh, know the pangs of raising children. 
We know the heartbreak of having a child that is not converted. Uh, the uh, rebellion of a child in the family. These are heartbreaking things that we experience. Some people experience them more so than others. But we are called to raise our children. How many of you people in the congregation know Horatio Spafford? Know who he was? A couple of you. You'll know when I tell you who he is. He um, lost a four-year-old son to scarlet fever. He uh, lost all he had in Chicago fire in 1871. He got a lot of possessions, a lot of property, and lost all of it. He thought his family should go on holiday, as they called it, to England. He stayed behind to work. You know what I'm talking about? He stayed behind to work, do some business he had to get done. So his wife and four daughters were on this ship, and another ship struck it. Went down in 12 minutes. All four daughters died. He lost everything. And yet, he asked the captain to tell him, when they got to the spot where the boat went down, he wrote, it is well with my soul. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the faith expressed in that hymn? This man lost everything. Everything that he possessed that was precious to him, he lost it all except for his wife. He didn't lose Jesus. He didn't lose Jesus. He did not lose his salvation. He did not lose the hope that he had in Christ. That's why he could write such a hymn as that. His focus was not on his problems, but on Jesus, on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians suffer in this life. Sometime again, suffer more severely than pagans. Well, what will keep us keeping on? What can we do to encourage ourselves when those kinds of things happen rather than getting angry with God? Rather than saying, I don't trust him. He's simply not to be trusted. I talked to someone uh, not long ago, actually. It was when we had the fifth Sunday service over at Christ EPC. Who said to me, he's not in this church, I can't trust God with my children. What are you going to do? Are you going to somehow outmaneuver God with his plans, his providence? It's not going to happen. And I want him to ask him over to come and have lunch. Because we have to trust God with our children. We have to. We have to trust God with all things. So we have privileges. And we will enjoy them more fully in time. But at this point, we do suffer. The second thing is, as a child of God, you look forward expectantly to the return of Christ. We have that here in the text. For his children, we don't enjoy all the privileges that we will have one day, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So here is that reference to the, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he say here? A grand transition is going to take place. We shall be like him. Not like we are today. But like reflecting the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says, we shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed, though, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That concerns the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall not all sleep. 
We shall not all die. but We shall all be changed. All of us who are in Christ Jesus shall be changed in a moment. That which is perishable shall put on the imperishable. That which is mortal shall put on immortality. That's what's waiting for us as God's children. And John is concerned here to refer to and remind them of that glorification that's going to take place so they don't give up. You can imagine having a disease. And uh, you've been told, nothing we can do for you. You're just going to have to suffer. And then they say, there's a new treatment. That's encouraging. We're going to try this, see if it works. That's encouraging. See, at that point, you have hope. At that point, you want to do what you can do to try to make yourself feel more comfortable. Well, we look forward to the return of Jesus returning victoriously as the great king of kings. That's what awaits us. That's what's down the road for us as his people. So we should never, ever be discouraged. We shall be those who continue to labor on because we know that Christ is coming to receive us into himself. And we will be like him in that we will have no more sin, no more sickness, no more pain, no more cancer, no more broken hearts, no more trials. Was that song, and all my trials shall be over? I think that's the trilogy, I believe. That's from that, I believe. All our trials will be over in that day. Now, that's a reality. That is something that is indeed going to happen to us when Christ returns. And you say, well, it's taking a long time. He's just taking too long. I kind of believe maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe he's just not going to come back. You remember in the first century even, there were those who quit working. He's coming back today or tomorrow. I'm not going to work. What Paul say, those who won't work, don't feed them. Neither let them eat if they won't work. And there are others that would get impatient with the return of Christ. And what does Paul say? A thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years to God. Jesus also said this when asked about it by his disciples. I don't know. The angels don't know. Only God knows. Only the Father knows when that time is. So we know that it is coming. We know that it is, may be delayed, but it is for the sake of the elect we read in the Bible. That God would have all the elect come into the church, and Christ is not going to come back until that happens. I don't know how long it will be. 10,000 more years. In that song, in the year 2525. Some of y'all remember that. Yes, thank you, Mark. Thank you for that nod. Yes. There's one line in there. One of the stanzas goes, uh, if God's a coming, I guess he'll make it by then. And that's not very hopeful. As believers, we say he may not come today, he may not come tomorrow or next year, but he's coming. And that's not going to change. That's what John wants these people to understand here. He is coming back and he is going to change things incredibly so when he comes. He knows the return is going to be visible. Uh, we shall see him visible. The extreme preterists think that Christ came back when the temple was destroyed. That didn't fit with Scripture. Where's the resurrection if that's the case? 
I think everything has been fulfilled except the return of Christ and the gathering of the elect. Dr. Robertson said this in class one day. Palmer Robertson said this. His coming is imminent. He can come at any moment. His coming is imminent. So we should look for him every day. Live as if he's coming back today. And be expectant for the return of the Savior. It will be visible. Be no question about it. Remember what Jesus said. You see the lightning in the east, and you see it happens in the east, you can see it in the west. That's the way it's going to be. It'll be well known. It will not be something that we're guessing at it, whether or not it has happened. It will indeed be known to everyone. Well, how can John be so confident? Do you have this kind of confidence in the return of Jesus? Do you have it? Do you believe without a shadow of a doubt he's going to come back, the dead are going to be raised, and we shall be with the Lord forever? Or do you just kind of out of sight, out of mind sort of thing? You don't really think about it too much. Well, how is it that John can be so confident as to write this to these believers? Beloved, we are children, God's children now. What we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. How did John get so confident? Well, for one thing, Christ said he was going to come back. He got the word from Jesus. He said himself, I am going to come back. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 30, he says, you shall see the Lord returning in the clouds. He says again, a similar thing in uh, Mark chapter 13. Uh, when he's before Caiaphas, being examined there before he is going to be taken and executed, you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. What did Caiaphas do? Ripped his clothes. Clothes must have been cheap in those days. They did it all the time. Always tearing their clothes. Putting dust on themselves. Strange thing. I can't tear up my suits. can't afford another one. But they, he did that. He was so disturbed by what Christ said. Jesus said he's going to come back. He also gave this promise to us in John chapter 6. I will raise you up on the last day. To believers. Those who are mine, I will not forsake you. I will not overlook you. I will not forget you. But I will raise you up on the last day. That's a direct reference to the final day of history as we know it. I will raise you up on the last day, and I have the power to do so. Christ himself said he's coming back. The demons believed it. Did you know that? The demons believed it. In um, Matthew 8... In verse, uh, I think it's 28, maybe, Christ goes up to uh, where this man is. And these demons speak to it. We know who you are, Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? They know that Christ is coming back at a particular time. It is spoken of throughout the Scriptures. In the Philippians, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angels said to those standing watching Christ ascend, Why are you doing this? Why are you looking up into the clouds? You've got work to do. And by the way, the one you single like this is coming back in the same way. He's going to return in the same fashion. You'll see him. And that day is going to come. Revelation chapter 6, in verse 16 People will be crying out for the mountains to fall on them. This is the guilty. 
as, as Christians, we should look forward to the return of Christ, not live in dread. If you're truly a believer, you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. God is loving you. You're his child. And he is going to take you into his home. We don't want the mountains to fall on us. That's the pagans that want the mountains to cover them up, lest they be exposed of the hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every tongue will confess. People will be crying out for the mountains to fall on them. So it is throughout the scriptures, Christ promises he's coming back. The demons know he's coming back. It is part and parcel of the gospel that he's coming back. It's spoken of in various texts throughout the Bible. So why don't we believe he's coming back? Maybe you do. But why don't we keep it front and center in our lives? That is the culmination of the gospel. That is the culmination of redemption when we are raised from the dead. That's something to think about. Can you imagine the graves opening up? People coming out of them? It's like something out of a horror movie. But it's not. It's a blessing that we're going to experience as the children of God. Well, if we truly believe this, if we're truly convinced of it, then we will seek as a child of God to strive to be like Christ today as much as we possibly can. Those who have this hope purify themselves even as he is pure. Well, there is, you see, a mandate here. Matthew five forty-eight: you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the goal. You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Pursue peace with all men, all women, all children, everyone, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So if you're an individual, apparently from what the Bible teaches us, you don't care a thing about sanctification. You don't care a thing about growing in grace. You don't care about it. It's not interesting to you. You're not converted. Pursue peace and sanctification without which... No one will see the Lord. That's the promise there. And we see here an encouragement to seek to be holy, to seek to be righteous like the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek to be obedient in all things. A great motivation to pursue after God and holiness is contained in this verse. And you notice also John says this, those who have this hope in themselves. Those who are convinced of the reality of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. John calls this a hope. What's he referring to? He is referring to the second coming. Well, why is it a hope? It's not a hope like this. I hope we have good weather on the beach this summer. But we don't know. It could be raining. We were down there one time. I mean, the, there was seaweed kicked up. The waves were about five feet high at the, at the shore. And it was bringing seaweed up. It was not a pleasant time. You know, you go to the beach to get in the water. You go to the beach to enjoy the beach. That was a, a bad storm. And I think it was a tornado. I mean, not tornado, hurricane coming in. Uh, so it's not that kind of hope. I hope we have good weather on the beach. Rather, is it a confidence? The hope that we have within us is a noun. The hope that we have within us. The reality of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have this hope, those who have this confidence, those who look forward with expectancy and confidence to the return of Jesus. 
purify themselves even as he is pure. So the hope is not something that's wishful. It is a guarantee. And we anticipate it with pleasure. We anticipate it with expectation. As we reflect upon the reality of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be like him. A transforming experience. Where we go from being corrupt to being incorruptible. We go from being sinners to being pure and holy. We go to to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? Or do you have the, the, not today so much. Maybe tomorrow. I want to be exactly like him tomorrow. I know I will. But not today so much. Let me tell you this. If you don't want to be like Jesus today, I don't know why you want to be like him tomorrow. To look at the world as Christ looked at the world, to value the things that Christ valued to the same extent that he valued them, to be committed to obedience to the same degree that Christ was committed to obedience, and to be striving again to be as holy as we possibly can be in this life. So again, the question, how much do you really desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? And what are you doing about it? Yeah. What am I doing about it? What are we doing about it? We want to be like Jesus what effort are you putting forth? John Lennon, I know y'all know who he was. When I was doing the wedding, I asked him if they knew Chris Christopherson. They didn't know Chris Christopherson. I asked him that for a reason. Because Chris Christopherson has a song that goes, Dying was easy, it's the living that's hard. It's true. Living is challenging. Living is difficult. Living can be hard. In holiness and purity, this is the chief thing wherein God would have us to be. Holy before him and pure before him. The song that John Lennon wrote was called God. It was on his first album, I think. It goes like this. God is a concept by which we measure our pain. I'll say it again. God is a concept by which we measure our pain. He goes through saying the things he doesn't believe in, and what I'm Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. He has another song calling I Found Out, and one of the lines in that is, There ain't no Jesus going to come from the sky. Now that I found out, I know I can cry. Well, if there ain't no Jesus going to come from the sky, we need to be bawling. We need to be in a great sobbing. Uh, he's right on that part of it. But there is a Jesus going to come from the sky. And again, I think John Lennon uh, is rather a morose fellow. And I think that maybe he was failing to think rationally at that point. There is a Jesus going to come from the sky. And now that we've found out and believe it, we know that we can rejoice in our great God. Well, what is the benefit of believing in the second coming, looking to God in the reality of the second coming, trusting Christ in the reality of the second coming? One thing is this, helpful to us in times of grief. When you stand at the grave of your father or your mother or a brother, you know if they're in Christ, they're going to come out of that grave one day. Without a doubt, you know that. Your body's going to be reconstituted by the power of God and come out of the grave. So it's a help to us in time of grief. It's a help to us to give us courage in the face of opposition. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Christ said. Do you believe that? 
what so many of us do when we face problems is, I want you to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. You deal with it, Jesus. Just let me know how it works out. It doesn't work that way. We have to deal with things that come into our path. Will we do so with the certainty of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? We deal with things in courage. And we look to him to help us when we simply don't know exactly what to do. I'll remind you of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. When we talk about acknowledging him, that means that we trust him. Lord, I don't know what to do here. I wish, you know, I hope, I pray you'll help me. You'll guide me. Shut doors that should be shut. Open doors that should be open. Show me the way to go. The problem with trusting ourselves is we got sinful minds and hearts. We don't know the best thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. The help to us in times of difficulty. And take care as parents and grandparents that your children are well instructed in the things of the Lord. Teach them. Pray with them. Spend time with them. Talk about the sermon when you go home. Talk about your Sunday. Ask your children, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Well, we learned this and this and this. What did you learn in the sermon? Not much. Well, let me help you with it. Let me tell you the pastor's points. And here, I think, is how they apply to us. So be careful in raising your children because they will and they are going to undergo judgment. They're going to stand before the throne of God as well and give an account. Well, what about those who aren't really committed? Are you ever able to say, when you leave here, I was glad to be in the house of the Lord today. I was glad to hear the word read. I was glad to hear the word preached. I was glad to sing hymns of praise to my God. I was glad for it. And I'm thankful for it this day. Are you one that says, I am so glad to get out of here. I am so glad that's over. No, I do not want to go back next week, but I guess I have to. Sophie Newcomb is going to start a children's choir in February. She teaches voice to children. She's going to try to bring those children here and then her own children. The only way that's going to fly if parents support it. That's the only way. If parents don't support it, it's not going to work. They have to support it. It is worthwhile teaching children to sing about Jesus and sing about his love and sing about his glory. That is something that is well worthwhile doing. And again, it's up to the parents. They have to be willing to support it. And then you see people on their cell phones here. Not trust that they're looking at the scriptures. There was someone here one time who was texting during a sermon. I'm not going to tell you what it was. They're not here anymore. Texting during a sermon. That's, that's very disrespectful to God and, and rude to me. And to those around you, they have to see that. So are our hearts really captured by the reality of Jesus coming back again? Do you recognize that you will indeed face God and you'll either face him? One of two things is going to happen. He's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Or he's going to say this, I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. 
depart from me into everlasting torment. Focus on Christ. He is our hope. It's not what you do or can do or haven't done or do. It is Jesus and loving him and demonstrating our commitment to him by our obedience. If you love me, Christ said, you will keep my commandments. Let's do that and have confidence. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Let's pray.